This morning, church family, we are going to continue our journey through Acts. And this is, is a crucial part in the development of the church. So now as we transition into the sermon, we, uh, we have to um, uh, start with the scripture and to talk about where we are. So if you would turn to Acts, or you can follow on our screen, Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 20. And we're, we're at this scene, and if you're visiting with us today or listening in for the first time, we're at this scene where Saul, this man, this Pharisee, who is essentially a prodigy, he is a superstar young guy who's in the prime of his life doing amazing things for the Jewish leaders, essentially. He is the cookie-cutter, perfect Jewish leader Pharisee, right? And he's going to do everything he can to prevent anything from happening, right? Anything from happening to the Jewish faith. And how dare anyone try to come up and cause any, uh, any dissension in that? He studied under Gamaliel, who would be um, like the uh, perfect person you could ever want to learn under. He studied under him, and he is a well-trained, well-versed, lawyer-esque, right, personality where he could debate and win any argument he stood up against, Saul. Ultimately, this man is the greatest enemy. Now listen, the greatest enemy of the Christian faith was Saul because his one passion, his one goal was to persecute any Christians, right? to take and to stop, stomp out anyone who would even try to uh, speak, essentially, the name of Jesus to be a believer in Jesus because he thought, he thought that that was the right thing to do. He thought he was serving God. Instead of serving God, though, he was spitting in the face of God. And we found out whenever he was traveling from Jerusalem to a city called Damascus because he pretty much stomped out uh, all the flames of Christianity in Jerusalem, essentially, and he knew that there was a bigger thing happening down the road about 150 miles away in this city called Damascus. So he said he was going to take a trip there to arrest them and bring them back, right? So he got approval from uh, the officials to do that. So on his journey as he's traveling to this city in Damascus, to stomp out all these believers. He has this huge vision, this, this physically, right, physically weakening. He fell to his knees when this bright light shone upon him, shined upon him, right, and knocked him to his knees, and he heard the voice of God, right? Jesus said to him, said to him, Saul, Saul. He wasn't screaming. He wasn't defeating him and scolding him, but it was of uh, such a heartfelt plea to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Immediately he knew it was because his response was, who are you, Lord? Who are you? He answered his own question in the statement, but it is, I am Jesus, the one who you are persecuting, Right? So immediately he knew that everything he stood for, everything he ever did, the people that he persecuted, the people that he was responsible for the death of, the murder of, 
He was wrong. He was guilty. The weight of all that guilt, could you imagine? He was blinded. Upon getting up, he knew that what he had done was completely wrong. And as he was in Damascus for three days, he had, couldn't eat or drink. And he had this realization, these conversations with the Lord. His heart changed. He went from the greatest persecutor of the Christian faith to the greatest preacher of the Christian faith. God would use someone as awful as he is, as terrible as he is? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it should be encouraging each and every one of us that any past that we bring before the Lord, God can do amazing things even with the worst of us. At our worst times, God can do amazing things. So, today we get to this point where he's in Damascus. His vision had been restored from the obedience of a man named Ananias, who God told Ananias to go talk to this man, who is probably the one that you should be most scared of. But Ananias was obedient. He went and he prayed and talked to Saul, and these scales fell from his eyes, and his vision was restored. And in that moment, he made a commitment to serve the church. And that's where we are today, at this point where he just restored his vision and he becomes a servant of the Lord, a great preacher. And we start that in verse 20. So if you look at verse 20 in Acts chapter 9, it says this. Saul was, the disciple, was with the disciples in Damascus for some time. Immediately, he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. He is the Son of God. All who heard him were astounded and said, Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc for those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? <laughs> but Saul grew stronger and kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. And after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. So they were watching the gates day and night, intending to kill him. But his disciples took him by night, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Then when he had arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, since they did not believe that he was a disciple. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles and explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how in Damascus he had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Saul was coming and going with them in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. The word of God, the word of the Lord. Let's pray over that before we begin dissecting a bit. Father, today we, we stand and before your word. As we've just read this scene and, and uh been exposed to your goodness, Father, we pray that your spirit moves in it as we understand it better. 
Father, where we can find application in your word, where we find conviction in your word, where we find, uh, 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 Father, where we find a, a place where we are reassured in your word. I pray, that we, I pray that we grasp onto that. We use this to strengthen our faith, to reinforce our faith, so that we can go beyond these walls today, a stronger, better, more effective Christian in your name. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So here we are, Saul, the great persecutor to the great preacher. And you may have seen in this scene that Saul is a, uh, he's a very persistent man. He's a very persistent man because when he has something that uh, he believes is right, he's going to do it regardless, whatever it takes. Even if it's in a most humble, embarrassing way, he's going to do it. And as we, as we uh, go back to the very first verse that we're studying today in verse 20, we see that he's been hanging out with the disciples. And in this, today, it's going to feel like the, 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 that we're in a Bible study, and that's good because that's what we do. That's the Word of God, and, it, and we allow it to speak louder than anyone else speaks. But in this, we're going to break it apart, and we're going to look at how, how all the pieces fit together, and ultimately, pray that God speaks to us loudly through this. In verse 20, he was with the disciples in Damascus for some time, and immediately... That word, immediately he began proclaiming Jesus. He didn't allow, well, I've just been through a lot, y'all. I haven't eaten in three days. I can't do anything right now. Give me a few weeks and I'll go and I'll start serving the Lord. No. He was passionate. He was on fire. And immediately he began proclaiming Jesus. Immediately. Immediately. And he started saying, in the synagogues, did you see the synagogues, the churches, the home churches, right? So he's in these small churches that are startups. Every one of them are all these church plants that are happening everywhere. And he goes and he's going to all these small gatherings. And then in the synagogues and the churches, he's telling people about the Son of God. He's saying, and it tells us in quotes, the words that he would say, the core message that he's delivering to everyone is, he is the Son of God. You see, Saul was very well versed in all Jewish tradition, Jewish customs. But in this whole Jesus-following believer type thing, maybe he wasn't so well versed in that. Maybe he wasn't. But I would then flip it and say, if you're a great persecutor of someone, you're probably know more about your enemy than you do about your allies, right? You study, you know where you're going, you know the people you're going to persecute. So Saul, being someone who had studied his enemies, now becomes a part of the other team, the plot twist, right? And now he can preach what he had studied for so long. He is preaching about the Son of God. He's not preaching about his own personal conversion. He's preaching about the amazing good news that is offered through the Son of God. And all who heard him, listen to this, this is Paul guy, or Saul at this point, all who heard him were astounded, blown away, and they said this. And this is, this is the entire um, uh, uh, um, argument to his ministry for the first several years. Isn't this the man? Hold up. Listen. 
Isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc? Wreaking havoc, destroying everything. Wasn't he the one who was wreaking havoc, causing havoc for all those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners? Isn't this the one who came here for... So they knew he was coming. They knew this Saul was on his way, and they were all prepared. They had this realization, everybody watch out, that Saul guy, he's coming here and he's going to arrest us all. Lock your doors, hide, run away when you see him, because he's here, he's on his way, and he's going to arrest any believer in Jesus Christ. Prepare yourself. And then he goes and he stands in the synagogues, that same person they're scared to death of, and he's preaching to them about Jesus. What a plot twist. But they were genuinely amazed, amazed. And not just the message he was delivering, but who he was in his past. When someone with a bad past, when someone that you know their history comes forward and says, you know what, I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I used to be anymore. I'm new, I'm different. We're immediately skeptical. Immediately skeptical. And maybe you've been in the same kind of shoes. As a redeemed Christian, we can be the ones that are, I'm no longer that person. I've made decisions, I'm starting right now. I'm not that person anymore because God has made me brand new. I've given my heart to him and I have a new life because of him. But yet, but yet we have these skeptics and that can be what sometimes is most difficult. And I can speak on my own behalf as I've been down that journey. That when you say you're something brand new and you're not who you used to be, those are the ones that try to drag you right back and say, no, you're not. You're full of it, man. Stop that. But Saul was the epitome of conversion. Saul is the epitome of conversion through Jesus Christ. Yes, he had this amazing vision, knocked him to his knees, made him a different man because he realized just how wrong he was. And oftentimes we have to realize just how wrong we were to see how right he is. And ultimately, if we can't do that, if we're in, if we have a state of denial, I'm good. I'm good enough. Yes, that's okay. God forgives me about those things because he is a good God and he's a gracious God. So I can carry all that sin with me and keep on doing it and not be totally transformed. And that's not the gospel. That's not the truth. Because you have a heart transplant. You are made brand new. And that's the truth we have to realize and understand in this thing called being a believer and being a follower. That when we follow someone, we can't take what we want with us. We let the past be the past and keep our eyes faced on the leader. Because if not, that past will drag us right back. We've got to break free from the past. And Saul did just that, and his life is an example of just that. Not only was he turning his back on his past, he turned towards his past and said, here I am. And he became the persecuted. They started hunting him, as we see. 
Look at verse 22. Saul grew stronger. Even though he was with this team now, I'm a believer now. He had all these believers are the skeptics. Hold up. Maybe it's this elaborate plot that he's got going. He's going to pretend he's with us so he can find out who we are, and then he's going to take us all out, right? And maybe that was, that was the thought. I would be thinking that. I would keep my distance because I'd be scared. We're human, right? But he's on their team. He grew stronger. He grew stronger and stronger in spite, in spite of everyone being skeptics and kept confounding. This word confounding just simply means surprised and confused. Confusing the Jews, surprising the Jews because they just, this genuineness came from him. We know, right? We know when people are trying to, you know, pull the, pull the wool over our eyes or when they're genuine. And we can see it. And sometimes it takes time. And with this one, we're all separated from Saul until we realize just how genuine he is and that he really is converted. He really is a believer in Jesus Christ. He kept confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. So not only was he convincing the believers, the Jews were blown away. Hold up, you were with us. What's going on? They were blown. He had blown them away because he had been transformed so much. And here's the thing. This Saul, where he is in this moment, and I'm trying to, to get it, give it to us in a current context. Saul, God can transform us in a way that puts us on an island, that makes us feel separated. Because when you ultimately receive Christ into your heart, you feel, all right, it's me and God. My past, they ain't, they, I don't really belong there anymore. And the believers that I should be in community and fellowship with, I don't really know them yet. And they don't really know me. There's, there's no trust here yet. And I feel lost. I'm alone. I'm on this island. And maybe you can get that point. Saul was there. But he didn't give up. He made himself available. He started serving. As we go back to the 20th verse, immediately he began serving God. Immediately. He didn't hesitate. Immediately he began doing things for the Lord. Serving God. Living for God. Convincing everyone by talking about Jesus being the Son of God. So immediately he started working. He increased in strength because he made himself available. Because he worked. Because he did. Because he didn't just simply talk about it. He went and he served God. You get better at doing something by doing something. Let me say it again. You get better at doing something by doing something. You place anything there you want to. Man, I just don't know. I'm not very good at this. Somebody else needs to do it. But God's chose you to do it. But I'm not good. I'm not, I don't have that talent. But you know God's given you that. So I'm just going to do it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it and keep trying. And the more you try, the better you get, the more effective you are at it. Here's the thing, church people, listen to this. God cares far less about your ability than he does about your availability. 
God cares far more about your availability. You make yourself available. You make yourself available. You, can't, you prioritize. And you put yourself here. Say, God, I'm available. That is far more effective than someone that is so able, so talented, so blessed and gifted that just does it at their own time, at their own convenience. You following me? We've got to, we've got to make ourselves available. That's when God's going to use us for his glory. And that ability, that comes, that comes because God gifts us. God gifts us when we are obedient to what he calls us to do. He will. He will. So you get stronger and stronger every day because we are obedient and we are available. Saul got stronger and stronger every day at proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Not against Jesus Christ, but for Jesus Christ. He got better because he did. He went to every home, every synagogue, preaching the good news of Jesus so much that the Jews, he became the best ally to the Jews, to the best the greatest enemy of the Jews, and they were going to do everything they could to kill this man. To kill this man. Look at this. After many days, verse 23, after many days had passed, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plot. He had some allies. He had some friends still there. He figured out and he learned that the Jews were going to kill him. So they were watching the gates day and night. It was so important to them, they weren't going to let him sneak out. They were watching the gates day and night, and were going to kill him. They didn't want to come in there. They weren't going to come in there after him because he could hide out. They knew he was going to sneak away. So they watched the gates day and night. But the disciples, disciples took him by night and lowered him, listen to this, lowered him in a large basket through an opening in the wall. Visualize that scene. Here you are, the city walls, and he's trying to get out, and there's no way out. So he lets, crawls in this basket, tied to a rope, and they lower him down in this big basket. I mean, that's kind of embarrassing, that you're hiding, scared to death. He goes from great, great conversion, this bright light, hearing the word of God, and becomes a Christian, essentially, from that scene. This amazing, elaborate conversion to this humble, almost embarrassing escape. Scared of that, right? Escaping from Damascus. As the Jews were after him. Not because he just didn't want to stay there anymore, but he had a calling. He was called to go. And he did just that. So he escaped through an opening in the wall. There's nothing big and triumphant about that. But obedience is there. So in verse 26, we see this. Let's watch this scene in this story on continuing unfold. When he arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they, of course, they were all afraid of him. Since they did not believe that he was a disciple, they were still skeptical, as anyone would be as you overhear a story. As you overhear the big story of his conversion, I would be skeptical. Barnabas, however, took him and brought him to the apostles' And explained to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and that the Lord had talked to him and how Damascus had spoken boldly in the name of Jesus. Remember last week, a couple weeks ago, sorry, Ananias, this hero that he had is like this un, un, um, 
an unsung hero. Ananias was an unsung hero. He, de- he doesn't get these big glories. You're not going to find these books wrote about Ananias and, and, and people saying, you know, wow, my favorite person in the Bible is Ananias. Very few, pe- few people say that. He was an unsung hero because he was obedient in getting Saul straightened out, right? Well, Barnabas is the same way. He's one of the unsung heroes. He is, he's loved and he's well-respected by anyone, but nobody was listening to Saul when he came back to Jerusalem. Saul was back. He, everybody was scared of him. They were skeptics, and nobody was going to listen unless someone that you respected, someone that you believed, brought him and told you, hey, I promise you, I vouch for this man. He saw this bright light. God spoke to him, and he's been converting all kinds of people to the Lord. I promise you, it's all good. You're going to be far more uh, likely to believe and to be accepting someone in. You've got to have someone to vouch for you. You need someone to be your reference, right, to stand up for you that you trust. Same exact concept. Saul needed that. Barnabas was the exact person that you respected to allow that in. So Barnabas is like another unsung hero. He stepped in, brought them in. And it's the same concept. Did you know that, uh, that a person is three times more likely to come to a church if, you in, if someone invites them to a church, if they can come sit by you? Far more likely. Because they trust you. They're comfortable around you. They're willing to come and to listen because they have someone that they're familiar with to be with. We should be like Barnabas. We have to have that same mentality. I know you're uncomfortable. I know they don't know you, but I am that middle person. I'm the person that's going to bridge that and bring you together. And that's your job. We are to be just like that. But far too often, we're too us-focused. If Barnabas was us-focused, and less other focused, imagine that Saul's ministry would have died right there. But Barnabas stood up for the Lord, and that's what we have to do. We have to be like Barnabas. Saul was coming and going with him in Jerusalem, right? Speaking boldly in the name of the Lord, he conversed and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they cried to kill him. Hellenistic, the Greek, those that spoke that spoke Greek, spoke a different language, were not necessarily native to the area, but came in and called Jerusalem home. The Greek Jews, but they still tried to kill him. When the brothers found out, they took him down. They, got, they saved him down to Caesarea and sent him to Tarsus to avoid that. And he was Saul of Tarsus. So he goes back to his homeland, right? Saul of Tarsus, he goes back right? He goes back because that was where he was more safe, where God God called him to go. So here's the whole scene. It kind of comes full circle with Saul. He was Saul of Tarsus, this young, successful, energetic, energetic rabbi. Young, successful, and and just this prodigy of a rabbi. Then he was Saul, the persecutor of Christians. Then he was Saul, the blind man. Then he became Saul, the convert. Saul, the preacher. Saul, the, the preacher. Back to Saul of Tarsus. Once again, Saul, the great missionary who would travel. 
city to city and explode the growth of the church from enemy to preacher. That's the story, that's the concept, that's the theme that we see. That in this transition, it's not from awful to great, right? Or it's not from uh, um, complete denier of Jesus to believer in Jesus. There's a middle ground there. And there's a lot of tension that we face and a lot of battle that we face. And if you're one of the people right now who are on the fence and are struggling about making that jump over because we have so many people pulling us back and holding us back from going, you've got to break those ties. You've got to break away from that because if you don't, you're pulling those strings with you. And they're always going to be tugging. And that's the truth of it. That's the truth. And that's the conversion in a nutshell. And we finish with verse 31 as the worship team comes up. So here is the result of the obedience, the availability of Saul. He made himself available. He used what God had given him as an ability. He used his ability to debate, to love people, and to be so convincing because of his education and his background. He used it for the benefit of God's kingdom. And as a result of that, verse 31 tells us, the church throughout all Judea, the church throughout all Galilee and all Samaria had peace. Listen, had peace and was strengthened, or the churches were edified, as other translations would tell us. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, the churches increased in numbers. So the church having Saul attacking it, went from being in immense fear to God changing someone to feeling peace, from fear to peace, because the obedience of Saul and his conversion, from fear to peace, and the churches would be edified. They would use one another, and this is the purpose of us today, is to be here for one another to help one another grow, to strengthen one another, so that we're not just Christians inside these walls, that we support one another in all that we do. We edify, we strengthen one another. Look at, that, that, at the scene of Saul. Saul, we couldn't write a story better. He perfectly prepared Saul. God perfectly prepares us for what he wants us to do, what he calls us to do. The question is, are we willing to allow God to teach us? Are we willing to allow our past to be a part of our testimony? Are we willing to allow God, mold, God to mold us? This willing, available, listen Christian, are we willing, are we available to allow God to mold us? And when we're facing this persecution, Trust that he protects us. And like he did Saul as he was in that basket dropping. To humble us. So that we look up to God. So that we look up as the girls sing. Beautiful. Perfect. And to continually remind us of how much we need him. So that we can love him more. So today I encourage you as we worship together, as we close together, let God be your victory. Let God be the one that you glorify, that you point back to, and that you continue to walk forward and break that past away. 
we can do that today, and I encourage you to do that today. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, know that, yeah, your past is your past. And through your, the word of your mouth and the belief in your heart, you can be saved. You can be saved. Because he died this substitutionary death on your behalf that you don't have to. And he loves you. And this grace continues to flow even though you struggle and your days are awful and you feel guilty so many times. God loves us anyway. And that's the joy that we have in our hearts.